Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. My guest today is Eva Fulton. She's an Army veteran, an author, public speaker. She works closely with veterans through multiple groups. To say she's busy is to put it mildly. Eva, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Hi, Nick. Fine. Thank you. Nice drive from Fort Worth. So, Well, I always appreciate people making <laughs> that drive from Fort Worth. I know that it can be a little bit of a headache, but uh, I'm glad to have you in here. So as I mentioned, we've got a lot to talk about today. And off mic, we were kind of trying to navigate exactly how we were going to do this. Okay. So I, I think that really the way to start with your story is just to start hearing your story. You do a lot of work with veterans. I do. And you yourself are a veteran. I am. I'm a combat veteran. Uh, so I started out in the military. I grew up in Grand Prairie and I was trying to navigate, you know, going to college. How do I pay for it? And decided, uh, hey, maybe I'll go and see the recruiter. And I went to the recruiter, and they, you know, look at me and say, okay. I asked, well, how, how can I join in the military without going to that basic training thing? And they kind of looked at me and said, no, I don't think it works like that. I was going to say, if you were able to swing that, this would maybe be the most interesting part of your story. Like, you were able to somehow yeah. talk your way out of basic. So, okay. Yeah. So that didn't work. That didn't work. I went to the reserves and uh, went to UT Austin, so I was a Longhorn for a while, uh, trying to work full time, going to school full time. That did not quite work out very well either, you, you know, because you have to balance what's what's more important for your time, college or working and paying and keeping a roof over your head. It's nearly impossible. Right, right. So I was, you know, young and didn't have a lot of other resources and uh, made the transition to go active duty. So that was in the summer of 1990. How long were you in the reserves before you made the uh, switch? Okay, so you'd been in for a while. Yep, enough to know, you know, that I tried to get some extra reserve time and, uh, you know, do extra two weeks, you know, even not beyond the two weeks to try and do extra time. And I just couldn't cross that barrier and and get the finances going and and decided, you know what, Uh, the Army didn't treat me wrong when I was in basic and IIT. Uh, if I'm going to be all that I can be, then this is the way I'm going to do it. And so God just kind of opened that door for me. And uh, so I signed up before this stuff with Saudi started happening with uh, the oh, Gulf So you War. said you went full time in what, 90? 1990. So I'm I, trying to remember the timeline there. It, so when so when did July, things really started July, to go off August there? August is when it started heating up. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd already signed on the dotted line, and then things start heating so up. So as you're as you're signing, things over there were just it's it's, yeah, it's starting right. Um, and then November, right after Thanksgiving, 
I I went like, you know, eight different airports to get from Dallas to Germany because that's where I was going to be assigned to. Okay. And then less than a month later, I was in the sands of Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, it was pretty interesting to see how much, you know, how many time zones I went through. And, you know, everything went pretty good. It was kind of cool getting to see the stealth fighter making its maiden voyage overhead and uh, met some, you know, British troops that were happy to come and use our wooden loos that, you know, that's the the toilets that we had built out there and and our wonderful uh, showers that were that our guys built for us. and. Um, and it was an interesting journey getting out to the desert, though, because the vehicle I was in, it broke down. Uh, yeah, that was not so good. Our whole brigade passed us by. Uh, the maintenance guys, unfortunately, didn't get the serpentine belt on correctly, oh, and no. it broke. And so we came close to being one of those news stories. We got really, really close to uh, the Iraq line and and had even gotten to one town and the MPs had told us, hey, you guys need to leave. And, um, you know, we weren't giving maps. We weren't giving, you know, any kind of navigation stuff. Uh, and finally, one of our subordinate battalions found us, uh, you know, saw the, the bumper, you know, numbers and said, hey, come back to our unit and we'll get you hooked up. And we finally, three days later, got hooked up with our home unit so wow yeah that was that was so it was three days of not really sure what's gonna work and how it's gonna happen yeah it was it was kind of crazy so it was one of those untold stories and when you had just gotten there right so that's how your journey (laughs) in saudi arabia started (laughs) right bad serpentine belt and it's a mess for three days yeah but you know it's really cool because uh this an aviation unit uh actually was a support battalion from fort stewart georgia they pulled over and uh, pu- told us back to their unit. Mm. Uh, so before the, our battalion people got a hold of us, this a this support battalion unit came and took us back, fed us, and got the vehicle fixed and everything. And I, I'm pretty good at making conversations with people. So my next assignment after Germany was at Fort Stewart, Georgia, and I was assigned to that unit really? and met the mechanic who fixed our vehicle. Did he remember? He did, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so that's that's kind of how my people garden works. You know, it's making these relationships, and we'll get into that part. Absolutely. Bit, <laughs> it's one of the things that you do with your groups. Uh, you're all about connecting people with other people, but I, I do have some questions about Saudi Arabia, though. Sure, okay. okay. so. I have, not shockingly, never been to Saudi Arabia. And okay. you hear so much about physically what it's like there. Describe what that place is like. Like, you get off the plane, well, all of a sudden you go from Germany to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, Arabia yeah. And so from freezing cold in December to, you know, the sands of Saudi Arabia. And, you know, the culture is a little bit different. And I'm sure things have changed since 1990. Um, and... We didn't wear burkas, you know. We we did wear our headgear. Uh, it was hot during the day. It was very very cold at night. When you say hot, I mean you're hot, from like, Texas, so like 
Well, I mean, it, the the heat's different. It's kind of like you know going out to El Paso and uh, it's 110 and it feels like 90, but then it can get at 120 and it feels like it's really sweltering because it's just it, it the temp you know the temperature and the humidity is just different. Yeah. Um. But but it was nice seeing. Uh, the landscape was different. Did you, you find it to be a pretty place? In some ways, yeah. In some ways, I mean, I can appreciate the the rolling sands and, you know, you find this, and I have a picture in my photo album at home, uh, and I, I lay down next to this one little patch of purple flowers I found in the <sighs> desert, and I was like, I was appreciating, you know, the flower in, yeah. in, in amongst all of the sand, uh, you know, just... God, God put flowers even in the desert, and just appreciate what He plants where He plants it. My brother went to the UAE, and he talked about how there's almost a calming effect when you look at the desert, yeah. and it's almost—he said it's almost like the ocean in a, in a kind of a weird it, it way. Is. But you got to be careful of when the sandstorms come, because they will come barreling through out of nowhere. And uh, I have some eye damage actually because of of. of the sand the boobs yeah i don't know what that word is but <laughs> yes well i i think that's what they call them out there they started they started using oh, okay. that term out in west texas like i lived in lubbock for a long time and you know these sandstorms would just come in every once in a while and i would imagine that they're way worse uh I, I, out, out I, there but even the ones that you would get in west texas are terrible and i went to school there and i went i lived in a dorm that had no ac oh. so everybody had their windows open all the time and it was hilarious because when you would see a storm coming in you would see people like running across <laughs> campus and across parking lots at a full sprint trying to get to their room before it was like it got sandblasted. Right, um, right. And so it coats everything. Everything. Y- y- yeah. Cars, computers, Right. We okay. really had to pay attention to the care of our vehicles because of that, you know, not to get sand in the gas tank and, sure. you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and we were in the tents. And, of course, with the fires, you know, there was the oil. We saw the burning, you know, fires, um, you know, all of the plumes of smoke and stuff. And so um, we would have that. And then it, and at various times during the day and at night, we would hear the 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 MLRSs, you know, multi-launch rocket systems firing off, and that's friendly, but they were practicing before the ground war started. Uh, and one interesting event I had, uh, I went with one of my coworkers. So I was a, I drove a two and a half ton truck. I drove a Deuce uh, for the mail. I was a paralegal. And there's not much, you know, legal action out in the out there. <laughs> not a lot of lawsuits time. out there. No, or <laughs> or people get in trouble. You know, the mission matters, sure. right? So there's not a lot of that stuff going on. So I was the mail, one of the mail carriers for our unit, driving a two and a half ton truck, little old me, five foot two, and I was driving down Tapline Road. That's the two lane, really skinny, you know, highway going out between where our unit was. Well, actually, it goes all the way to Port, but we were way out west and um, was going to our mail depot, and my air brakes went out. 
So have you ever like pumped the brakes and you know it that was scary, Not right? Good. You can Especially just imagine a, what, a two, ton. two and a half ton truck. Oh my god! And so all I could do, you know, with oncoming traffic, you got semis and you got, you know, you just had to learn how to downshift and oh, navigate yeah. through and make that quick left turn to go in and, you know, they know who you are when they're driving when you're driving through the gate and. Uh, you know, give them the magic passwords, and I, my brakes are out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you with vehicles now? You've had a lot of vehicle trouble in in your hey, military life. Daddy taught me well. Thank you very much. Right. So, I was Daddy's mechanic girl growing up in Grand Prairie, right. and he, you know, I had a Jeep when I was in high school, and he taught me how to change the spark plugs and all that stuff. So. I, after all those kinds of things, I I didn't have vehicle problems. I, you know, I paid more attention and became way more self-sufficient on uh, how how to provide for myself, and that's really kind of paid off in the long run as as I've grown older. Um, but now when you can afford a little bit more, you, you pay the right mechanic to take care of you. So. That's the smart move. <laughs> that's the difference between, uh, what is that? Uh, that's a wisdom thing right there. Right, right. <laughs> All right. So how long were you in the military for? So I was in for a total of 12 years. Wow. Um, I, I really enjoyed it, but there was, when I got back from Saudi, uh, and I had gotten married in Denmark. And so that was kind of cool. Friday the 13th, not so cool. That kind of marked something. Anyways, um, we ended up PCSing to Fort Stewart and Fort Stewart, Georgia, and was going to a PT test on this one magic day, which was my birthday, March 20th. And an MP military police teed my car. She was going 55 to 65 miles an hour I was making a left turn, never saw her. She was coming from behind me, never, never saw her. I made the turn with the signal on. There was a car behind me, and he never even saw her except for the dash in his lights. He saw saw in the dash the lights flashing. She turned them on as she was passing him. I was already in the turn, and boom, she hit me going 55 to 65 miles an hour. So, yeah, I had uh, I had three pelvic fractures, two knee fractures, two ankle fractures. I've been diagnosed with post-traumatic arthritis in all of my major joints. I have three screws in each knee and a and a knee replacement, a half knee replacement. Um, so they're titanium. They don't make the TSA detectors go off at the airport. Everybody usually asks. I, I... <laughs> I probably would have gotten there. I'm just kind of in shock right now. Like, you showed me the scar on your knee, and I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay, so, yeah, I probably would have gotten to that, but that is interesting that it doesn't make them go off. Yeah, it doesn't make them go off. Okay. It's, um, there's, a, there's a plus. I know, right? But And, you know, for the longest, I felt shame, though, for some reason, that I had these scars. I was in my 20s and felt like, you know, I couldn't – I had this ugly scar on my leg, and that was – you just don't, you felt damaged, you know, not something, obviously I didn't cause it. Even I was going to say, even though it wasn't your fault, you still felt some kind of guilt about not, it? Not so much guilt is that it's, it's, uh, I'm not the way I was, you know, I'm not the same. 
And when you go through an accident like that and it changes your life upside down, all of my hopes of of staying in the military, retiring, I mean, in fact, my my uh, the chain of command had wanted to chapter me out right after the accident. And I was like, no, I want to stay in. I want to stay in. And that was really tough. I pushed through and I was running 10 months later, even with all of those fractures. Right. I was running 10 months later. I wasn't running fast, but I was running because uh, I didn't like the, the number of swimming laps that they were making us do. <laughs> so the alternative, the, pool for the alternative, yeah, the, you know, PT was just not my game. So, yeah. uh, and walking fast to pass the test was really hard. So I just kept pushing through to run and I dreamt of running for years and years. I dreamt of running. And so I just kept improving and kept improving. I mean, I did really good. I got up to one point. Uh, when I PCS to Fort Hood uh, in the 90s that I I could run four miles with the organization, you know, the big formation run. And I I dropped, so I now had my second child by then. I had gained 60 pounds and lost 80 pounds. Whoa. Uh, So I was, you know, young, fit, 125 pounds. Actually, when you had your wreck, how old were you? So I was 22. Wow. Yeah. And 22 years old when you had that happen to you. old, right. Uh, and, you know, I just had my 50th birthday. So it's an anniversary of the accident every year on my birthday. Was that, was that hard? He, yeah. Uh, because my, when I was in basic training, my grandfather died on my birthday. And then the accident happened on my birthday. So I had this long struggle with God. Why me? What did I do wrong? What, you know, is this a punishment for something? You know, I don't understand. And it was just a really big struggle on why and and what's the purpose. And I, you know, finally have figured out that purpose in the last few years and I have a great joy in telling my story now, and it's, you know, it didn't end there. That's the physical side of it, and I've still had many more surgeries. I even had uh, shoulder surgery in November this year, and, uh, you know, so it hasn't stopped. It's, you know, I still go through things, yeah. but I do things like the Silkies March with veterans. Uh, that's the, with the Revenue Warriors. I'm going May 19th with them. All right. I did it in the fall. So that's uh, so my victory is not just in supporting, you know, veterans and uh, and preventing veteran suicides. That's what the irreverent warriors are. But it's about my own personal physical victory of being able to to march. You know, to go these distances. Uh, for so for me, twelve you know doing twelve miles is a big hurrah. Sure, it is for anyone. <laughs> Trust me, I'd be excited about twelve miles, and I have my own knees. I don't have any titanium in me, so yeah, twelve miles is yeah. It, I don't think that's ever not going to be a big deal. 
Well, but when you've gone through some physical journey, whether you have your knees or you don't, or whether you don't have an arm or whether you don't because you're a veteran and you've you've gone through some of these challenges because, you know, I didn't ask for the, you know, I didn't ask for this to happen to me. Right. Uh, the, the best thing, I think, is that I've been able to turn that around, um, you know, because I did individually get out. and. How much longer were you in the military after your accident? Uh, I went back to Germany again as a single mother with two young kids. Uh, they were three and five years old, so I loved K-Town. Yay, <laughs> Kaiserslautern, Germany. Uh, it was It was very... Um, gosh, it was amazing. You know, Germans are great. I love, you know, spending time over in France, too. I was there for the Millennium New Year, oh, cool. right in front of the Eiffel Tower. Really? So if you saw that on the news. I remember seeing that on TV. I was right there with getting champagne sprayed all over my head. That's and, awesome. Uh, with my youngest kid's dad, Mark. That was our honeymoon. So, hey, that was cool. You know? Yeah, okay, so you spent quite a bit of time in the military after you had this accident. I and you did. were able to physically beat the odds and not only get yourself healthy, but but to complete tests and to stay in the military. For a while. And then it started hitting back at me. My the injuries? Bo- the injuries, yeah. Okay. My body just said, no, you can't do this anymore. Uh, nice try. Mentally, you want to be there. But, you know, physically from a, from a leader's standpoint, you don't ask your soldiers to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, you know, you told me before that you've got, you know, family members that are veterans and, you know, um, and that was really a tough decision to just say, okay, I need to transition out and I've got to do something different with my life. Mentally, did you feel better about that decision because you had overcome so much? I can understand the idea that you would feel frustrated or bad about it, to put it lightly, that you are going to have to tap out of the military because of uh, physical injuries. But you did overcome a lot to stay in there, and you reached a certain goal. I mean, you reached certain goals that you had set for yourself. So what was that feeling? Uh, It it was... I, I, I was looking forward to a change. I was, a you know, a new wife, and... and uh, you know, I had two young ones, and so I was looking forward to, hey, coming back home, maybe settling down is 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 the right kind of change, and things went along, you know, pretty well for a while. I had two more children, uh, so, you, you know, one ex-husband with two kids, and then we got, we had two more children, um, and things were going okay. Uh, but getting laid off from two different large companies was not very fun either. So I plugged in learning how to be an entrepreneur. And um, Did you always have that bug? Was that something that you felt was always kind of in there? You just didn't have the opportunity to do it? What, being an entrepreneur? Yeah. I don't know. I'd, my mom had kind of done that thing um, when I grew up, but I did never really pay attention to it. I didn't take very many business classes, you know, growing up. I was trying to be a lawyer when I was going to UT. So, uh, you know, so some kind of formal side of things intrigued me, but it wasn't ever to be a business owner. Um, But 
you know, that's kind of all since blossomed way more since then. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a bit busy. Yeah. You've got some stuff going on. So, I mean, that really does seem to be where you're at in your life right now. I mean, I if I was going to describe you as anything, I, I think I would describe you as an entrepreneur. I, yeah, I, I guess so. I didn't ever, you know, envision myself that way. Uh, and, you know, I've had some significant losses. So when I got out of the military and then worked in the corporate world, you know, that was that was kind of an eye opener that they did things way different than what we did in the military. Uh, you know, the hard part about, I think, in the corporate side of things is I got your buddy's back doesn't quite exist. That that term, you know, yeah. it's a dog eat world is really it, it's for real. You Cut know, throat. it is. Uh, so it's been really kind of hard to navigate that side of things. And that's where I kind of have learned to let my people gardening skills evolve. And as I was telling you earlier, you know, soften my military edges to navigate the civilian world, I think has been one of the biggest things that have helped me uh, be able to get where I'm at. Obviously, something worked or I wouldn't be here, you know, interviewing with you. So let's talk about that a little bit. Just the idea of adapting to civilian life. It's something that you hear about a lot. It's something that I, any veterans group that I talk to, they're, they are involved with that in some capacity. No matter what that group does, right. there's they got to help guys and women transition and figure out that difference between the way things were and the way things are right. now. How did you approach that? Did you even think about it before it started happening? No, because, you know, when I got out of the military, I took off that hat and I didn't really think about the military anymore. It was like that was a different life. Mm. But then when my life changes started happening and, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, understanding that I don't have a job anymore, self-employment, I had, you know, worked um, worked with my own two companies. I, I had a cleaning company and then a construction company. I learned how to do blueprints, you know, read, do takeoffs and bid. And I even bid on Gaylord when it was being built to really? clean the whole thing. Yeah. To, uh, oh, for like a, like, to, so you would have been like. To do the construction the... cleaning when it was originally built. I was number two, my yeah, company Probably would have been a good gig. Uh, but I did some other ones here in the Metroplex. Uh, Grapevine Baylor, I did that that tower when they built it uh in the early 2000s well that was mid 2000 um lewisville medical center cook children's park wow. plaza is a retirement center over in in bedford and yeah so i was doing pretty well but it was just hard and the the construction industry just kind of started tanking about then yeah. and we just kind of you know mark and i just kind of got you know lives just kind of Hit, hit a nosedive, and, and we were unemployed. Uh, he found some work traveling in other states, but then we lost our house, uh, you know, moved in with my mom, and and uh, she sold her house, and we ended up in a mobile home. So it was me in a mobile home with four kids and no car and no job and $452 a month in disability pay from the VA. And whatever money Mark happened to be able to send to me from wherever he was at. You're here because you spun your life into a positive. Mm-hmm. How do you go about spinning that situation into a positive? I prayed. 
I prayed to God and he had some conversations with me and he said, uh, Eva, go back and get your education. Those that you love are counting on you. And I've since kind of, you know, figured out that it wasn't just my kids that I love. It's all my sisters and brothers, the ones that I've served with, the ones that I have their back, that I love them too. And they need to know that they're not alone. They, they're not alone. Somebody is working to help you. And it was kind of funny. Uh, so I ended up going through Dallas Baptist University for my degree. I did 45 hours in one year Oof. to finish my bachelor's degree. And what was the bachelor's in? It was bachelor's in business. Okay. And uh, so I went through the VA's vocational rehab program. And so I uh, went back and talked to my caseworker over. She's now over at UTA, Shalonda Taylor. Shout out to Shalonda. Uh, she, she's been a super um, star person in my life. And I'm very, very thankful. And she, uh, so I was supposed to be going through my exit interview and figuring out how to, how to work into my next chapter of life. And, and she goes, you know, Eva, with your grades, and I had made the dean's list, you know, going through the that year. Uh, I think it was all three semesters because I, I did it back to back to back. And she goes, for you to compete with your peers, we would like to send you to go and get your MBA. Hmm. And my jaw dropped to the floor. Right. Sure. And, yeah. And I was like, you know, wow, uh, I got it. I, I don't really need to think about this, but I got to ask my husband, you know, and that had been some contention that here I was getting paid to go to school. That was my job. That's how I looked at this. I'm getting paid your tax dollars. Thank you very much. Curtsy uh, is. Is to be the best student I can be. I owed it to my family. I owed it to whomever I was going to come across. God had a purpose for me to go to college, and I wasn't going to let him down or anybody else down. So I had eight resumes out. That's all I put out. And Mark would ask me, so how's that job search looking for you? And I said, you know, it's working, Mark. It's working. <laughs> and I just kept praying, and then I got a call from... Homeland Security from Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I got the interview and I got the job. And it was three veterans, three men, three male veterans who interviewed me and hired me for the position. And, uh, you know, it was pretty daunting uh, to have them ask me all these different questions. And I'd only finished my bachelor's degree, knew nothing about contracting, but they were willing to give me the chance. So I was going to say, so what was that gig then? What were you going to do for ICE? I did contracting. Okay. I was a contracting specialist and, you know, I just did my best in learning and excelling and, you know, nothing about Eva was changing. I was all for it. And what uh, what did that feel like to get that job? Thankful. Cause was, I, it, was it, was there relief? Was there still pressure? Because what I, you, I mean, what you'd gone through and how you handled it is, is quite unbelievable. I mean, I think that we could talk for a long time just about the idea of getting, off that couch and getting your education, you know, making that jump, you know, I think that, I mean, just doing that is a lot for a lot of people, but you, you made that decision, you made that jump, you excelled in school, and with all this pressure and life happening around you, after all that work, you got that yeah. job. So what, 
what were you feeling at that time? Well, the pressure really didn't start until I started the MBA program, too. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, so I was full-time mom. Well, I mean, obviously I had the kids, but I'm working full-time. I'm going to school full-time. And a husband who's jealous that I'm getting my degree and where's his. Mm. And that was the hard part was explaining to him that, listen, our we're surviving because I have a job and because I'm getting paid to go to school because you don't have a job. I, it's, I didn't like this role reversal, and obviously he wasn't comfortable with it either, but he ended up getting sick, and um, and then we ended up getting divorced, and you know he since passed away in July 2015. So, And I lost my first husband. My, my oldest dads, they lost their dad July 2014. It was back-to-back. So God had a plan. He knew what was going to happen, I, I'm I'm able to tell my story and I'm able to succeed because God wants me to. And has the pressure been there? Of course. You know, we had gone through and lost a house, but I've gone from living in a mobile home. I, I had purchased a second home. I sold that uh, two years ago and I'm living, you know, in a very beautiful house. I've gone from $452 a month to... A $14,000 salary, you know, per year when I worked for ICE. That was when I was a GS-7. And I have, you know, a six-digit salary um, plus my disability. And it's not that I haven't earned it, you know, that things have happened. Uh, But I don't, this is not about me. This is what I'm doing to turn it around for somebody else. Before we talk about the the groups and how you you transferred all this into helping others, we've we've talked for a half hour just basically about how you have helped yourself get through circumstances that are unbelievable. How have you been able to stay positive through all of this? You seem to me to be a very optimistic person, and I think that any one of the things that we have talked about would have shut most people down, but you have somehow been able to not only push through this, but really succeed and, and and to remain a positive human being. Well, thank you. Um, you know, one of one of the my first semester when I was getting my bachelor's degree, one of the professors had emailed me through, you know, black the the black blackboard system. Mm. And uh, he said, Have you considered getting your MBA? And I you know, thinking in the back of my head, this is a sales pitch. Hello. I replied back to him, uh, what is a what is an MBA gonna do for me? Yeah. And he responded back. He goes, No, you don't get it. It's not what an MBA is gonna do for you. It's what an M it's what you with an MBA are gonna do for others. So when I one of my projects that I had to do at, at DBU was a service project, and I met some incredible people. These were homeless people. We chose a homeless project over in Dallas, and um, this one homeless man had this backpack, and he goes, so I was having this conversation with him. He goes, you know, I don't ever worry about being supplied with a backpack. I've got a Bible in it. I've got a few things in there, but... 
God always provides me with another backpack because somebody else needed my backpack more. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said that he, his profession was being a public speaker. And so I really kind of took that to heart. It's something that has kind of fed me through all these years. And uh, so when I, when I tell my story, like I did in our October with some homeless women veterans in Dallas, I had a woman coming up afterwards and she goes, you know, Eva, thank you for telling your story. And I was like, well, right. Okay. Thank you. Why is that? And she goes, you know, I don't feel ashamed telling my story anymore. And I looked at her and we both had tears in her eyes. And I said, you know what? You should never be ashamed to tell your story because your story is what's in your past. It doesn't define who you are right now in your present and your future is yet to come. And it's about your choices that you're going to decide on where you're going to let your future go. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 